0: Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series on the heart of Philippians with Adam Barnes. In today's lesson, Adam will be starting chapter 3 of Philippians, where Paul warns the Philippians about the Judaizers and the message of a works salvation. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast.
1: But Let's look at this together. He says... Or I say, imagine that you're a first century Jew. Your country's under Roman rule, but your fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, grandparents basically, everybody that you know and interact with, your in laws, and society live different than the rest of the world because they all grew up under Mosaic law. All the rituals, all the cultural things, all the mandatory things that they had to do spiritually, they all did. And because of that, your culture's different. Uh, When you take that into account with the rich history and tradition that the Jews came up under, uh, you take a certain pride in that. Like you like that you're a Jew. Uh, How you eat, how you dress, how you maintain cleanliness, your worship, your education, everything's different. And you have a different outlook on the world because apparently God, the God, used your people to make himself known to the world. He chose you for service. He chose your people for service, So there's a pride in that. He chose your people to bring about a kingdom someday. And then now, or maybe a few years ago, or a decade ago even, a man from up north, up north of Nazareth from the tribe of Judah named Jesus claims to have been and may have been the foretold Messiah. <laughs> Keep in mind that God hadn't given any audible revelation in 400 years. And out of nowhere, most literally, this person may have changed everything because all of your spiritual and religious leaders are taking sides. Some people are saying, yeah, this guy is the Christ. It matches. Everything that he did matches what he said he would do. But some people are rejecting him. And the people that are rejecting him are really against him because of the implications of what it would mean if he were the Christ. The people who believe that he's the Messiah are becoming even more different than your people have been and some are even abandoning the Mosaic law which is a really big deal to you to make matters worse non-Jews or these Gentiles are attaching themselves to your traditions and they are now accepted by God through your Jewish Messiah and you don't like that because you've always been different you've always been set apart so what should you do? what do you believe? If you decide to accept that Jesus was Messiah, what does that mean for how you worship? What does it mean for your family, for how you raise your children? Maybe for how your unbelieving family will treat you. Because everything changed. And then what about these people that we used to look down on? These Gentiles that even Jesus himself called dogs. Is it true that they can now be cleansed like your people? Do they have access to God through your Messiah? They haven't sacrificed once throughout their life. They aren't circumcised. They haven't lived by the law. Now they're just accepted by God if they accept Christ as the Savior? This is the um, position of the first century Jews. As you look at Acts, these are the things that they were dealing with. During this transition time and really at the beginning of Christianity, this is the situation. As you look in Scripture, especially in Acts chapter 15 through 22, or 23, these are the issues that pop up. And when a lot of times when Paul's going around and establishing the churches, these are some of the things that he's tackling, and today's one of those things. When you look at it, you might miss it. But he specifically addresses circumcision as a work. These people are coming in from behind him, and they're saying that, oh, we believe in Jesus. But you still have to do things according to the Mosaic law, including some of the Pharisees who had believed. They're still wanting to adhere to the law for people to say that they're righteous. So keep that in the back of your mind and that mindset because Paul is going to need to address these people specifically today. And he doesn't give a lot of backstory. He doesn't give the mindset that we just talked about because it's something that's real. It's happening and it's current in their time. It's modern to them. So let's pray and then we'll get to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day that you've given us. We thank you that uh, you've given us righteousness, that we stand declared righteous by you because of our faith in Jesus. Because of his work, because of what he did, he can offer us eternal life. And all we have to do is trust in him for it. There's nothing that we can do in this body and this flesh to attain Uh, righteousness in your eyes, where there's nothing that we can do to stand righteous before you who are a righteous God or who is a righteous God. We just pray that today as we look at this third chapter of Philippians and we begin this study, uh, that we would appropriately place our confidence in Jesus. Not anything that we do, not anything that we say, not anything that we can work out, uh, but that our confidence is squarely placed in you who did all the work. So, we just pray that you would help us to do it. You would encourage us, that you would convict us as we need, that the Holy Spirit would move as we study your word. We ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, what's the point? First century Jews faced an important decision they could either believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah or reject him as Christ. Does everybody get that? Does that make sense to everybody? Who was the first Jew? guy named Abraham, or Abram, at first. And what did God say to him? So leave your home, go to the land, I'll show you. So that's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He says, Go forth from your country, from your father's house, and from your relatives to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll make your name great. I'm going to bless you. Not just that, but I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse the one who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So God makes this deal with Abraham. Five chapters later, in chapter 17, he makes a covenant. What's a covenant? Contract. I'll promise. Yeah, a <clears throat> contract or a promise had more of an idea of a contract because it's an agreement between two parties. God's saying, I'm going to bring about a people from you. I'm going to bring about a blessing through you. And then he says that there's going to be a sign. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> what was the sign of this covenant? Circumcision. It was circumcision. He says, <coughs> because of this covenant. All of the males who were born as your descendants will be circumcised. So Abraham was the first Jew. So only Jews were circumcised. Right? I think didn't he tell him
0: everybody that was in his his hired hands <coughs> and everybody right? They might not have been Well, I guess they weren't Jews if they were They were
1: adopted yeah. in his as his family. So he does, you're exactly right. In, in in chapter seventeen he says, even the slaves of your household, if somebody's born in your family, they're supposed to be or born as a slave in your family, they're supposed to be circumcised as well. What happened if they didn't get circumcised? They were
0: sent away. They had to be they weren't allowed to be part of the Part of the group, or part of the blessings, or part of the.
1: That's exactly right. What he had promised. So, if they didn't get circumcised, they were cut off from the people group. <laughs> Later, in Leviticus, Moses makes this part of the law. He mandates circumcision. So, based on this, can we agree that circumcision was a big deal in Jewish culture? To be cut off from the people that you're proud of, that you're a part of, that's a pretty big deal, right? So they had a decision to make. Because from Abraham all the way to, who is it? John the Baptist is really the key figure. Those are, that's the Jewish people. We know that they split up into 12 tribes they inherited the land. <clears throat> Joshua details the story of them. They go into Jericho. They start killing and taking over everybody who's in their land that God had promised them. They break up the land into tribes. Everybody gets it. All, all tribes get a piece of the land, right? The Levites. Don't the Levites don't. Well, 12 tribes do, but Ephraim it depends on how you can. Yeah, because Joseph's tribe is broken up into Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Levites don't get land. Because, how do they make their living? Everybody else is supposed to live off the land.
0: Serving as priests.
1: Yeah. So serving as priests, they get what? Sacrifices. Food. They get their food through sacrifices. Don't they get any money? Yeah. Yeah. Don't they isn't that part of what the tithe system was for? Was to pay the tribe. All right. So anyway, my point is is that this is this starts the culture. They got their own land. They got their jobs. They got their culture. They've got their message. They're different. They look different. They speak different. They do everything different. And God makes a promise to them and says, If you obey me in the land, there's going to be blessing. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. And we've covered that a little bit. We know that they get carried off into captivity twice. But now we've come back. And Jesus... So we've got Judaism... Is Christianity an extension of Judaism? That's a true question. Like, like a stepchild, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, so maybe God. it depends on what you mean by that. Or, so they grafted into the tree. I mean, so what did you? What, what was the first promise? What was the first promise of the coming Messiah? Genesis three. Genesis three. That wasn't to Jews. That said, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. Then it went to Genesis 12. Who's the seed going to come from then? Abraham. Abraham. So this is Adam and Eve. Abraham. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17.
0: Yeah.
1: Who is it then? David. David. So it's progressive. Seed of woman. Seed of Abraham. Son of David. To who? Mary. Mary. Yeah. To Mary. So we've got this progressive revelation. And this is all, this especially, is all Judaism. All throughout here, Not all throughout. In Exodus, we get the Mosaic Law. But for most of this time, they're under law. And circumcision is a part of that. Now, this has all been fulfilled. Jesus came. and What did he do in terms of the law? He fulfilled it. So what do you do if you're a Jew? If you're in that in that snapshot in time, if you're one of those people, say 40, you were born 40 years before Jesus, maybe lived to 40 years after Jesus. What do you do? Or even let's just say 70 years after Jesus, even up to the, up to the point that we know that Scripture was written. You have a choice. You have to either accept Him and change this and go to this. Or, we just keep going here. It was difficult because a lot of the people wanted a little bit of both. Some people said, eh, I still love the law, and there's nothing wrong with the law. Was there anything wrong with the law after Jesus fulfilled it? What about the people who wanted to keep it? Were they wrong? It could depend on how how they wanted to. That, I mean justify, so why, why they to keep it. Okay, you both said something really great. So Kevin said it depends on why you wanted to keep it. And what did you say, Paige? Because they were being
0: justified by the law.
1: So put those things together. Thanks. Were they doing it because they wanted to be justified? Or were they doing it because they were zealous for the law? Because we see in Acts 22, Paul actually gets into a little bit of hot water. Not because of anything he did wrong, but because what he did was so good, right? Paul goes out. He's given the message. People are believing. He goes to the Gentiles. The Gentile world's believing. He goes back to Jerusalem to talk to James, and he gives an account. They're rejoicing. They're so happy. They say, oh, this is what happened. This is what God did through me for the Gentiles. Everybody's thrilled. But then James kind of drops a bomb. He's like, hey, same thing here. So thousands of Jews have also believed, and they don't like your message. Because from their eyes, you're, you've abolished the law, and you're doing away with it. And Paul's like, okay, what, what, what do I do? And they're like, why don't you, these guys who are finishing their vow, why don't you go pay for their sacrifices, purify yourself from your travels, and then why don't you go pay for their sacrifices just to show them that it's okay that they still want to do the law? You know how hard that must have been for Paul. It had to be hard because he spent how much time providing clarity for what Paige just said. If you're doing it to attain righteousness, you're doing it wrong. That was his message to the Gentiles. You're in because you don't have to do that. It only comes by faith in Christ. But if you're doing it or if you're doing it just by grace through faith, you're doing it right. So Paul submitted to what the elders told him to do and he went and did it. But his emphasis. Oh, go ahead, I, I
0: he I think he was careful all the time to to follow the law. Not just that time when he was in Jerusalem, but I think he, he always did. Partly because of the way the Jews were looking at him, everywhere he went.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think I don't think it's not that he wasn't following the law, but from a perception standpoint. His message was so often, you're not saved by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. And I put it in here, and we'll get to it in just a second. But the perception was that he was trying to do away with the law, and he wasn't. So all this backstory is necessary, because we'll, we'll get to it here in just a second. But the earliest major issue in Christianity pertained to whether or not believing Gentiles needed circumcision, in order to attain God's righteousness. They want to be righteous, and the question comes up, do Gentiles who have believed need to be circumcised so that they can be grafted in to the original promises? You fast forward 2,000 years, that issue isn't necessarily as applicable to us as it was then, but the heart of it is. We see that doctrinal differences in the body remain, just like they did at first, and their basic assertions are the same. In order to be righteous, this is what people say, a lot of people say, in order to be righteous, you have to obey some sort of work or carry out some sort of tradition or ritual. Isn't that what a lot of Christianity says today? In that sense, first century circumcision equals 21st century good works. There's nothing that we can do in this body to attain a righteous standing before God. Any good work that we attempt to obtain... Righteousness is garbage. That's not my words, that's Paul's. He's going to say it next week that he counts it all but rubbish. Because it doesn't matter. It's not effective. It means nothing. A proper and appropriate perspective for believers is to humble ourselves knowing that we can only please God and live a truly effective life by walking according in His Spirit to fulfill His will. You can see the outlining goals there. For the most part, we're just going to cover a couple of sections that and the goals of this lesson are to understand circumcision's role in Scripture, which we started to look at. We want to see what type of person and what type of doctrine to beware of. And we want to know where to place our confidence in for righteousness. Because we've titled this misplaced confidence because so many people back then were saying our confidence is in what we do. If and, today, yeah. I, and that's the point. The the application is the same today. What do we place our faith in? How many times have you heard JB say that faith has an object? Our confidence has an object. What is that object? What do we put our faith in? Jesus. Jesus. I've heard people get onto us pretty severely, even people within this body, for emphasizing clarity. They say, man, it just sounds like it's, just, it's so you guys have to be so academic, and you have to say it just right. It's not that you have to say it just right; it's that if you're going to communicate a message, the person who hears it needs to be able to pick up what you're putting down. Because if you say you need to believe in Jesus, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What do you mean by that? Believe he was real? Does believing Jesus was real save you? Does believing that Jesus died on the cross save you? This believing that Jesus maybe even rose again, Savior. Those are facts. We can believe the facts. And there are people, by the way, today who believe the facts, but they don't put their faith in Jesus as Savior. So where do we place our confidence? Let's read the Scripture. He says, finally, my brethren. He starts out chapter 3. There's a whole other chapter. He starts it out. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things is no trouble to me, and it's actually a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we're the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to the righteousness which is in the law, I'm found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So let's get to it. So we've started the background conversation a little bit. Uh, but let's look at it. In Genesis 17, God required Abraham's descendants, we've already said that those were the Jews, to be circumcised as a sign of their covenant with God. And then later in Leviticus, the circumcision requirement became part of the Mosaic law. So anyone who is not circumcised in the flesh, we'll see here at the end, was cut off by God from his people. But uh, I highlighted really the key verses there, verse 11. And you shall be circumcised from the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. And there's the part Kevin talked about in verse 17 when the servants who were born in their house. Then down in 14, but an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's a big deal. So as we've discussed, Paul's mission was to take the gospel message to who? To the Gentiles. What do you think that these these Gentiles they didn't have Bibles back then? <laughs> they didn't they, there weren't even copies of the Old Testament just floating around for everybody to get a hold on. You think Gentiles cared about being circumcised? They probably thought it was ridiculous. That they, they didn't understand the covenant. They probably they may not have even known who Abraham was. So circumcision to them was weird, but yet Paul's told to go to these people and we'll see how it ties in The Gentiles weren't descendants of Abraham and therefore not circumcised for the most part it was foreign for everyone to consider that God provided a way for salvation for all people not just for the Jews therefore the means by which a person could be saved became an issue in the early church so I put these, these things here so that we can look at them but in Acts 15 by the way when does Paul go to Philippi in Acts anybody remember What chapter? Chapter 16. It's right after this. The council of Jerusalem is actually right before he goes to Philippi the first time. He says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Who were some of the apostles and elders up in Jerusalem? James, half brother of Jesus, Peter, Peter. We know for a fact that those two are there. Then down in a couple of verses it says, But some of the sect of Pharisees who had believed, so believing Jews, matter of fact, Jewish leaders who had believed, stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. This is so fascinating to me because there's no New Testament. They don't have theology. They can't go and look and see if these things are true except for what's in the Old Testament. So here's this conversation where doctrine's being developed. It's actually happening. You've got some religious leaders who, going back to Genesis 17, are saying, I can read. It says that this is an everlasting covenant. You have to be circumcised. It says it's never going to end. Paul Barnes is arguing with him saying, no, 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 God, Jesus fulfilled that. And there's nothing that we can do because salvation comes by faith through the Messiah. There's nothing that we can do. We don't look to us. We place our confidence in Christ, not in our works. They have this debate, so they've got to go talk to James about it. And it says, The apostles and the elders came back together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days, it's funny because these are early days to us, but he's talking about right after Jesus, in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe So that's Peter, not Paul. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What is that yoke? It's the law. He's saying, why are you trying to make him go under the law? You couldn't keep it, you can't keep it. Neither could your parents, neither could their parents. So why are you trying to make them keep it? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. That's cool because this is Peter, not Paul.
0: It's interesting he didn't say that they're the the same way that we, we are.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great point. So to my original point, Paul as a point of clarity, as a point of clarity, went throughout the world teaching that justification before God comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works, rituals, or tradi- traditions according or including those Like the Mosaic Law. So that's really interesting when you think about Paul writing all these books, just like Kevin said. So much of his emphasis is fighting the doctrine of the Mosaic Law for salvation. Anytime that he talks about eternal law or eternal life, it's often in comparison or contrast. With the Mosaic Law. It's hard to find verses where Paul says, when he c- compares or contrast to eternal life without the Mosaic Law. So, if someone wanted to say, yeah, but Paul just always, you know, every single time, works aren't involved, but really he's talking about works of the law, not just general works. What they're saying is true in one half, that it is hard to find those, but there are verses that talk about it. And the principle's the same anyway. It doesn't matter if he says works of the law or not, because his whole point here to the Philippians and to basically anybody that he writes is that there's nothing that you can do. No flesh will be justified in his sight. Not by works. There's nothing that you can do. Because if you could, then you could boast. And Ephesians two, eight, nine is one of those places where he doesn't talk about works of the law. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift, it's a gracious gift, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And boasting has a big part to play in his argument here in the Philippians. Because what he's going to say later is that there's this false circumcision. These people are saying that you have to do all this stuff to attain righteousness. And then he's going to contrast that by comparing them to himself and says, we're the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God in glory or boast in Christ Jesus. He's boasting. They can put their confidence in Jesus because he did the work. So because of the uniqueness uh, of Paul's message and his success, he gained a reputation among the Jews. uh, The Jewish Christians especially who mistook his emphasis on clarity for a condemnation of the Mosaic Law. Paul was trying to provide clarity and they mistook it for a condemnation of the Mosaic Law. And in Acts 22, James welcomes Paul back to Jerusalem, tells him that thousands of people, uh, Jewish people, had trusted Christ and that they were zealous for the law. He said, man, <laughs> there's a bunch of them here and they've all trusted Christ and they're zealous for the law and they think that what you're saying is that the law is not good. And that created a problem for everything, for everyone. On one hand, the elders rejoiced because of the many Gentile believers that had trusted Christ as Savior through Paul's message. But on the other hand, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem also had believed in Jesus Christ and they carried out the Mosaic Law as a cultural custom. They probably weren't doing it to earn uh, God's righteousness or to be justified. They were doing it just as cultural custom because they were zealous for the law. These new Jewish Christians, they misunderstood Paul's point of clarity and they disregarded him. Not just his message, but him. Because later they tried to kill him. (laughs) Yeah, they came pretty close. Paul saved his skin because he's smart. Therefore, Paul submitted to the elders' plan to purify himself from his journey according to Mosaic Law and to pay for the sacrifices of four men who were completing their time of purification in order to demonstrate his acceptance of their rituals and customs and to show that he loved the law just like they did. Unfortunately, a group of believers known as Judaizers, Judaizers, J-U-D-A-I-Z-E-R-S, this, this word is only used once in Scripture. It's in Galatians 2, or Galatians 4. It's in 2 or 4, but all of Galatians 2 is about this, anyway. Uh, a group of believers known as Judaizers taught that salvation and righteousness came through obedience to the law of Moses, and specifically the covenant ritual of circumcision. We saw it already in Acts, and he's going to talk about the same thing here. Those are the people here in view here in chapter 3, so let's look at it. So the name of this section is you want to talk about self-righteousness? Because that's what these people are saying. They're saying that because of what we did we're righteous. Paul flexes on them a little bit and says you can be self-righteous all you want but at the end of the day you can't come close to having confidence in what you've done like I've done. I came from the right lineage, I did all the right stuff and at the end of the day he still says but all that stuff is garbage. So let's see it. It says finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord He says to write the same things again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision for we're the true circumcision. Who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal persecuted the church, and as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So Paul shifts gears from chapter two, where it had been about Christ's humility, the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and now he's gonna go into these are guys you don't want to pay attention to pay attention to Jesus and his humility, pay attention to Timothy and Epaphroditus and their example. Here's some things not to do. Beware of these people. And he reiterates his command to start out to rejoice. He says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. He told them in chapter one that he wanted to remain with them for their joy and progress in the faith. He told them again in chapter two uh, when he commanded that they share their joy with him. Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me, he said in chapter two. Now here in chapter three, he says, to write the same things, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same thing is no trouble to me and it's actually a safeguard for you. Remember, joy doesn't come from your circumstances. Agree? Where does joy come from? Yeah, it comes from the Lord. It comes from God. It comes through an appropriate and humble mindset is what Paul has taught us so far in chapter 1 and 2. An appropriate and humble mindset about who God is. Remember the fear of the Lord? It's knowing who God is and what He's capable of and what He did for us through Jesus Christ. And that what and that we really we even get to collaborate with him in ministry. That's something to be joyful about, to rejoice about, even amidst opposition, which we're gonna see here in suffering. Paul's commandment to rejoice is based on who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ. In that way, it's reliable. That's the word safeguard that he gives there. It's reliable. He's, he, basically what he's saying is if you have that appropriate mindset of humility and understanding who God is and what He's capable of and that we get to serve with Him, that's safe. That's something that you can trust. You can rely and re, on your rejoicing if it's in Jesus Christ, if it's in the Lord. If we have nothing else, and by the way, sometimes we don't. If we have nothing else, no matter what, We are secure because he, his words, and his promises are reliable. Then he goes on to say, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware the true circumcision. Who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now Paul begins his warning to the Philippians by telling them to beware three times And he really uses irony here to liken the Judaizers uh, to three things. The first thing is dogs. When you look at this, it's weird because in 21st century, especially in America, we humanize dogs. They're our people. We treat them like people. Uh, They're somewhat glorified through cartoons, through movies, through whatever. We've personified them and we've given human traits and things like that. But back then, that's not how it was. The dogs weren't looked at like they are today. They were street roamers. They were trash, you know, in the trash, trying to dig through things, trying to find uh, food. They may have been dangerous, stuff like that. They they weren't the same. The Jewish people thought that the uncircumcised Gentiles were spiritually unclean. Even you know, it's funny that you know David as a derogatory remark to Goliath when J.B. was teaching that first 1 Samuel, he's like, are we going to let these uncircumcised Philistines you know, talk to us like this? They looked at Gentiles who weren't circumcised as spiritually unclean because they couldn't be clean. They had no means by which to stand before God uh, in any form or fashion as righteous. And then Jesus even called the Gentile woman a dog. however after his death and resurrection the way of salvation was evident and open to all people including the Gentiles and Paul turns the Judaizers this haughty mindset that they have he turns this thought on them reverses it by comparing them to dogs these people who thought that the uncircumcised Gentiles were dogs he reverses it on them and his point is that anyone taking credit for their own cleanliness because of something that they do is unclean they're unrighteous and they're standing filthy before a righteous God. Isaiah 64.6 says that our righteousness is filthy, like filthy rags before God. Romans 3.20 says that no flesh will be justified in His sight. He says that those who put themselves under the law, that's just so that every mouth may be closed and everybody may become accountable to God because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Same thing in Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, he says, "Even we believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law." So he calls them dogs. He said, "You guys are actually the spiritually filthy ones. You're actually the unclean ones, because your confidence is in circumcision because of some ritual. It's not in Jesus you're the unclean ones you think that the Gentiles are unclean but you're unclean because of where you're placing your confidence it's misplaced two is evil workers beware of the dogs beware of the evil workers it's interesting to know that Paul acknowledges that Judaizers are they're actually working they're going around doing what they think is ministry But the defining characteristic of what the Philippians are to be aware is these workers' evilness. Beware of the evil workers. The motives and the message of the Judaizers is evil because it teaches that mankind, you, me, were the central figure in achieving righteousness because of something that we do. That's evil. Anytime someone reduces or removes Jesus as the means of the way by which a person obtains righteousness, it's an evil, bad, rotten, or corrupt message. That's exactly what he's saying here, and this does apply today. So people who say that you guys are too weird about what you say, you have to say it just right. Well, at the heart of our message is a desire for clarity. We say to put your faith in Jesus for eternal life because that's what he offers. Because he came to earth, he died and rose again for that exact reason. And when you make it about something else, you're doing it wrong. There's an opportunity that when you say it differently, that it's going to be perceived differently. And then the message gets distorted. It becomes rotten. It becomes worthless. It becomes bad. That's what these evil workers were doing. They were doing some work. They were going out doing what they thought was some ministry, but their message was wrong. Their message is evil because it replaced Jesus with man as the means by which somebody obtains righteousness. Then, three is the false circumcision. I debated on whether or not to keep the word false in here because it's not there in the Greek. It's just the word circumcision, the false is implied because of the contrast that he's going to make here in just a second in actuality Paul only says beware of the circumcision or the mutilators is really probably the better translation he says beware of the mutilators and we get the full depth of his statement when he compares the fleshly circumcision of the Judaizers to the spiritual circumcision of believers in the next verse so to summarize if you were to write a little synopsis of what Paul meant if somebody came and said hey look at this weird part of chapter 3 where he says beware the dogs and beware the evil workers beware the false circumcision what is that even talking about? How would you how would you give that synopsis? Because that's weird it's not easy what would you say?
0: It's it's anybody who tries to partly it's take the focus off of what Jesus has done and put the focus on themselves and what they've done. Try, try to take it off of what Jesus has done and put it on what some person does for themselves.
1: Bingo. That is, that's exactly right. And that's hard to get if you just skim over this. If you don't look and see what, circumc- what the relevance of circumcision was, what the ritual or the rite was, why it was so important to the Jews, it, You know, it's hard because you always say, man, these, these people are out doing work. We can't even get Christians with the right message to go out and evangelize. These people are going out and they're, they're doing something. But this work is bad. It's evil. I think that at the heart of what James says when he says that teachers are going to be judged harsher, this is why. If you go out and you're teaching the wrong stuff, it's not based on the Word of God, there's an opportunity for you to be destroying somebody's life. And that happens every day, all the time. So yeah, we emphasize clarity. Because it's important for the ears that hear the message to hear a clear message. To rightly divide the Word of Truth. To cut it straight. Accurately handle it. Because if not... Your message, man, you can destroy people's lives. I was one of those people. I grew up under a false message. I grew up under an evil worker. Not because they were intrinsically bad. Not because they even had wrong motives. Their message was evil. Their work was evil because their message was evil. They didn't know it. But I wasted 25 years of my life because I thought that what they were saying was true, and it just wasn't. It's not biblical. It's not in Scripture. It wasn't clear. So here's my synopsis. The Judaizer circumcision was indeed false because it could not bring about righteousness. They thought it could, but it was a false circumcision because it couldn't bring about righteousness. Their work was evil because it nullified the need for Jesus' death and resurrection. By the way, anytime somebody tells you that it's anything more than faith in Christ ask him why Jesus came and did what he did then if you could attain righteousness why do you need Jesus why did he leave the glories of heaven where he enjoyed perfect fellowship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and come to this earth to become a filthy dirty human being just like you and me live a perfect life die and rise again if there was something that I could do apart from him. By the way, he gave them all out. If they could keep the law, but they couldn't. They couldn't even do that. Though they believed accomplishing their work would separate them from these detestable Gentiles, the Judaizers' work accomplished nothing. Leaving them as filthy, unclean dogs, just like the people they were accusing, Paul compares the Judaizers with himself and other Christians who appropriately place their confidence in the work of Christ. In the next part, implying that they are the true circumcision, Paul describes Christians with the appropriate confidence in Christ as those who one worship in the spirit. We didn't go over the quiz, but what did last week's verse say about worship? What do Romans 12.1? Somebody want to say it for me? Therefore, I urge you. Brother, I'm the mercies of God to present your bodies as a loving and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Which is your spiritual service or logical service of worship. What is the worship in Romans 12.1? Okay, specifically? Using your body as a sacrifice. That's worship. Paul says the true circumcision worship in the spirit. Walk by the spirit so that you don't fulfill the desire of the flesh. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, but the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to his spirit will from the spirit reap life. So those who are the true circumcision, the people who are spiritually circumcised, they worship in the spirit. That's using their bodies. As sacrifices, that's their lifestyle. That's worship. That's worship as a lifestyle. Two. Those who glory in Christ Jesus. Those who glory, and you guys remember what was the word? What's the other word for glory? Boast. It's boast. To glory in Jesus Christ is to boast in Christ Jesus. Why can we boast, and why is it appropriate for us to boast in Christ Jesus? He gets the glory. Why else do we boast in Christ Jesus? Why does anybody boast, by the way? Why do people boast? sound
0: good. Because they what, Dave? They
1: did something good. They did something good. Does it get any better than what Jesus did? It doesn't. Because of what Jesus did we can boast in Him. Because He came and left the glory of Him, because He died and rose again, because He conquered death and paid for sin, because He offers us eternal life, we boast in Him. It's nothing that we do. You can say to people, there's nothing that we can do. And if you're saying it's something that you can do, you're boasting in yourself. That's why the end of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, He says, so that no one can boast. It's a gracious gift from God given to you by faith. And it has to be that way. Otherwise, it's something that you did. So we glory or boast in Christ Jesus because He did something good. Three goes hand in hand. It's those who put no confidence in the flesh. In a sense, this is talking about the natural desire to sin, but really what He's talking about is people who want to use their body and do something to try to gain righteousness. If your motive is to use your fleshly body so that you can gain righteousness or so that you can get something closer to God, it's worthless. It's garbage. It's not going to work. There's nothing that mankind can do in their bodies or in their power to earn God's righteousness. As believers, we have the ability to collaborate or to participate with Jesus to accomplish His will, but we can't do it on our own. The believer's spiritual circumcision provides for the ability to live our lives as a sacrifice to God. That's those who worship in the Spirit. We boast in Jesus' work, His perfect life, death, and resurrection as the reason that we can trust in Him for righteousness, for our justification, and for our eternal life. Because we can't accomplish it on our own merit. So any time that somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but, say the type of faith that saves works. You can say, I don't know about that, but I know that I'm saved because of Jesus' work. Not because of my work. My work does not prove that I'm saved. Jesus' work proves that I'm saved. He did what I could not do. He lived the life I couldn't live. He died the death, I couldn't die. He rose again to conquer death, and because my confidence is in him, because of what he did, I don't have to work. That's the good news. By the way, the more works that you add to the gospel message, the less good that news becomes. If you have to do anything to prove it, if you have to do anything to keep it, that's bad news because you can't do it. How many good works you gotta do before it counts? And for how long do you have to do it? You don't have to do any of it. Jesus sat down. The work is accomplished. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Then he says, my favorite part of this verse, which is we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. We could, but there's no need because it's pretty self-explanatory. This is Paul flexing. He's giving an example of himself here to say, you guys think you're self-righteous? You want to put confidence in what you've done? if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh I far more Circumcised the eighth day we saw here it had to be the eighth day according to the law according to God's covenant with Moses by the way that has more to do with his parents than it does him he's talking about his lineage not only did he do it right he came from people who did it right I'm of the nation of Israel I'm already a Jew. I don't have to get grafted in by circumcision as a Gentile. I'm one of you. One of you Judaizers. I'm a Jew. By the way, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. It's a big deal. Saul, the very first king, was a Benjamite. Um, They're they're the only tribe who stood up with Judah. They have some bad things too. But uh, that's a pretty big deal because not only were they an esteemed tribe, but he could trace it. He's pure he said i'm a hebrew of hebrews it could refer to his parents he's a hebrew of hebrews or it could refer to the fact that they didn't get any more pure than him as to the law i was a pharisee the pharisees were the know-it-alls they were the ones who added stuff to the law so that they could be more righteous to the next, than the next guy they added traditions, they added more rules on top of God's given law because the 613 commandments that they were supposed to fill were enough. He's one of those guys, and by the way, trained by one. As to Zeal, not only was I a Pharisee, I loved it. I cared about it, and I was passionate about it because I was a persecutor of the church. Later, when he's talking to Stephen, or not Stephen, when he's talking to James, he says, I was there. You know, I was one of the guys who helped kill Stephen. I was actually on my, on my way to Damascus to wrap these or to wrangle these people up so that I could bring them back here and put them in jail. These Christians. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous as a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. And as to the righteousness which is found in the law, found blameless. Doesn't mean he was blameless. It's just that nobody had nobody could put anything on him. At least from other people's perception, he did everything right. And then look at look how he ends it. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says none of that matters. Because what I was doing was trying to make myself the way of righteousness. By what I was doing I wanted to look good before God and men. And I wanted to do it myself. I didn't need somebody for righteousness because I was the perfect person. And I did all the stuff that you guys did. My parents did all the stuff that you guys did. And I'm found blameless. Nobody can say anything bad against me whether it was in my zeal, according to the law, whatever it was, I did it right. Nobody else can say that. You guys can't say it. I actually have more reason to be confident in what I've done than you do. But it doesn't matter. Even though I could hold that over you, I'm not going to because I know that it's worthless and it doesn't matter. Because I'm not going to replace Jesus with myself as the way to gain righteousness. And that's his point. Though there is nothing that someone can do in the body to earn God's righteousness, as an aside, Paul details the value and I use the word value here because in the next week, next week he's going to start talking about worth and value. He details the value of his own life in the flesh as an example of someone doing it right, by the Judaizer's standpoint at least, not from God's standpoint. Because the outcome of all these things is worthless, has no value in front of God. Three things you guys know this, but write it down because it's powerful. A person is justified before God only by faith in Jesus Christ. A person is justified before God only by faith in Jesus Christ. What does justified mean? If you were to give me a quick definition of the word justified, what would it mean? Found
0: blameless.
1: Yeah, so before who? Found blameless before who? Yeah. So... There's a doctrinal word, justification. Have you guys ever seen this in Scripture, justified? <clears throat> yes. When you see the word justification in Paul, that, that the definition is declared righteous. How was a person declared righteous? By faith. In Jesus. By faith in Jesus. And in Paul, that's justified. The verse that changed my life was Romans 4 5. We talked earlier about all of these things that people grow up believing. And I don't know, probably a couple of months after being here, I was talking to somebody and I said, I hear what JB's saying. But believing is still a verb. I still have to do something to be declared righteous, to be justified, to have eternal life. They said, Romans 4, 5 excludes believing from the Word. And So I was quick. I flipped it open. Sure enough. It says, But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is created as righteousness. That's powerful. Romans 4, 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We no longer stand in opposition to Him. We have peace with Him. We're justified. That's beautiful. And Galatians two sixteen is a great verse for justification. We're declared righteous before God by faith. If you ever want to look in the difference between justification and sanctification, it's a good study. Normally, in Scripture, they're talking about people in the past tense who have been justified. Therefore, having been justified by faith, sanctification is more present tense. It's what you're doing right now. You are being saved. This is part of what rightly dividing the word of truth entails. Which of these do you think we're dealing with today? True question. In the are saying second. So we are. Uh, Philippians as a whole deals with sanctification. This is not eternal life salvation. Although today he's dealing with both. Because here in a minute, next week he's going to talk about the type of righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith in Christ. So this is the only part of the book where he's going to get a little bit into justification, which is relevant to our conversation. But for the most part, he's talking about Christian life sanctification, meaning how you go about living your life, being saved from... A loss of rewards, from discipline, from, uh, there's, a lot, there's physical deliverance in it. So, it's a good study. The second thing, a person is declared righteous, a person is declared righteous only by faith in Christ Jesus, not by works. I said the same thing two different ways. Because I need you to understand that to be justified before God in Paul is to be declared righteous by God okay? Because in James when James writes about justification, he's not talking about being declared righteous before God. He's talking about before man. So you can be declared righteous by God or you can be declared right, declared righteous by man. That's more of your Christian life. Not, not more. It is your Christian life. Everybody wants to talk, to, when you talk to about justification, even though you can show them a thousand verses about eternal life by faith, and that you're justified by faith for eternal life, they want to go back to James 2, in the one place that it says, faith without works is dead. Man is not justified by faith, but alone by works. James chapter 2 starts out by saying, If a rich man walks, or a rich man, a poor man walk into your assembly, and you show preference to the rich man, and you say to the poor man, Go down and sit by my stool, you've shown partiality. And to that poor man, you're not declared righteous. Your faith was inactive, it wasn't working. And so to that guy, it's worthless. It's the same type, it's the same thing. Three, salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. Can somebody give me a verse that talks about eternal life salvation being by faith, not by works?
0: Okay,
1: good. You want to say it, Brent?
0: By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves;
1: it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one just... Perfect. So if someone comes to you and says, I, just, "I think the works has something to do with it," you can give me Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Can you give me any other ones? How about how about Romans? Yeah, how about Romans four five? That'll be my contribution. But to the one who does not work, does it get any more clear than that? To the one who does not work but believes his faith is credited as righteousness. To the guy who didn't believe to the one who doesn't work but believes now his faith is credited to him as righteousness. What about another one? John 3.18 So let's just do John 3.14-18 that's a great place to take him because guess what's in between these two? 16. But he says it how many times? So. Yeah, he, gives, he gives the numbers story. He says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave the only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. That's huge. He who believes in him is not condemned. You're never going to stand before God condemned for your sin. He who does not believe has been condemned already, because he hasn't believed. This is a great passage for belief in general. For the benefits and consequences of belief. Go to this passage. What else is there? yeah he says it like three or four times nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law you're not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus even we believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified he literally says the same thing like five times in that verse that's pretty clear what else? And that's eleven six. Uh, so if it's by grace, it's no longer. Or if it's, Bases but yeah, so on basis. Yeah, okay, so what is that one? He says, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace. grace is no longer grace. So the logic is right there. The log, the grace logic, is perfect because you can't have both. You can't have both grace and works. Something can't be a gift and something earned at the same time. It can't be. Grace loses its meaning if you say it's by works. What else? Romans 3.20 uh, Yeah, yeah. So, Romans 19, and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Isn't that what it says? Mm-hmm. What else?
0: One for today, Galatians
1: oh, man. That passage, you guys, just tell somebody this. 2.20 and 2.21. If someone wants to tell you that works have something to do with eternal life salvation, just tell them to read Galatians 2. And by the way, you should read Galatians 2 anyway because your memory verse is Galatians 2.21. But it goes it goes hand-in-hand hand with our message tonight because it actually deals with circumcision and the works of the law. So... I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live; but Christ lives in me. the life which I live now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. That's
0: Ephesians oh. two twenty. But two, two Galatians two twenty twenty one is. That's the I do
1: not nullify the grace of. Yeah, so that's twenty one. Twenty is I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live; but Christ was in me. the life which I now live in the flesh, oh, I right. live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes by the law then Christ died needlessly. Gotcha. This is a tremendous passage because in there he's saying the same thing. It's not, it can't be me who lives anymore. It's Christ who lives in me because those who worship the true circumcision worship in the spirit of God. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. In the life which I live in the flesh I live by faith. The object of my faith is Jesus. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This this that is a great passage for the work for a workspace. Anything in Galatians 2. Romans 3.28. Yeah. do we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We maintain that a man is justified by faith. It doesn't get that simple. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's a great verse. What about John 5:24? It doesn't have anything to do with works, but it has everything to do with your past, present, and future being secure in Christ. We've talked about it in this class. Truly true, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him, he has, present tense, eternal life, and does not come into judgment future tense, but he's passed out of death into life. So that, that was a great one. Put these verses down. Commit them to memory. So that when you talk to people, because I'll be honest with you, most of the people that you're going to interact with that are even church people, they were taught by dogs. They were taught by evil workers. And they were taught by a false circumcision. People who think that you have to do something to have eternal life. Like Paul, you can go to him and say, "The true circumcision worship. It's not you. You can't do it. We worship in the spirit of God, we glory, we boast in Christ Jesus because of what He did. Put Him. Put your confidence in Him. Don't misplace it. We could go. I mean, literally, we could go on and on. And, but find these verses about justification, eternal life, commit them to memory, because as you go about in your life and you talk to people. You need to be able to take people to the scripture to show them how they can have eternal life and how they can stop steering people in the wrong direction. Really. Does works have a place in the Christian life? 100%. Does it have anything to do with your eternal life? No. It has everything to do with your Christian life, your present tense, your life now here on earth. All right, let's pray. Oh, wait. Quick summary. Circumcision of the flesh was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. We know that. First century Judaizers taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Paul taught that salvation came by faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Pretty straightforward. We are called to beware of people who claim eternal life salvation comes by works. Beware, three times beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Because our confidence, we're the true circumcision, our confidence is in Christ. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ for salvation. He did the work. We trust in Him. No matter how exemplary, just like Paul, no matter how good we are, no matter how exemplary our deeds in this body are, we cannot achieve God's righteousness. You can't do it. You can't. So we need a Savior. And thank God Jesus is that person. So here's the application understand the role of circumcision in scripture it's weird it's weird when you, some people talk about this in church because it talks about cutting your sex organ and so people don't want to talk about it but it's super important because that was God's covenant with Abraham that's how they knew that they were Jews it's, under, it's important to understand how important it was to them because if they didn't do it they were cut off they were cut off from God's people There's a reason it was the preeminent or first uh, doctrinal issue in Christianity. Because it was so important to them. So, to beware of people who teach that salvation comes by works. Any works. Anything that you can do. Go find a church that, that doesn't say that there's some sort of ritual, that there's some sort of tradition. Thinking about baptism, I'm thinking about sacraments, I'm thinking about the Lord's Supper, I'm thinking about anything, any tradition. Walking down an aisle when I was growing up, that was a Southern Baptist tradition. Come down front, talk. We'll have pastors there talk to you about whatever decision you made. They're gonna play, you know, I, I want. What is the name of it? Come, well, just as yeah, I wanted to say "Come as you are, but I think that's a Nirvana song. All right. <laughs> Three, put your confidence in Jesus Christ. That's an appropriate placement of your faith, of your confidence. Anything else is inappropriate. Your confidence is in Christ. Four, worship in the spirit, what does that mean? Based on Romans 12:1, what does it mean to worship in the spirit? Your body. <laughs> that's it live your life for Jesus live your life according to the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's will and then realize that there's nothing that you can do to, to gain righteousness or to be righteous before God you can't do it but thank God that Jesus did that's the good news so next week for your test know these things memorize Galatians 2.21 it's a great one Remember, anytime somebody wants to bring works into the conversation, you'll have this memorized next week and say, look, you're nullifying the grace of God. Because if there's something that you can do to earn righteousness, then Christ died deemlessly. And you can't, by the way. Otherwise, why did Jesus come? He's God. He knows what people are capable of and nobody can do it. So what ritual were the Judaizers emphasizing as necessary for salvation? We know that that's circumcision. What was fleshly circumcision in Genesis? What was it for? What was its purpose? Set
0: them
1: apart. Yeah, is this set them apart specifically? Is Sign, it? Of the Sign of the covenant. Sign of the covenant. Those are the words I'm looking for. What three things did Paul liken the Judaizers? Dogs. False Dogs. circumcision. That's three. Number two? Evil workers. evil workers. Their message was evil. All right. What three things did Paul say the true circumcision do? Worship, worship in the, worship the spirit. spirit. Boast. Yeah, they boast about it. they boast in Christ. Put no in they put no confidence in their flesh. And then I want you to give at least two of the examples of Paul's life that uh, he thought mattered before circumcision circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuted the church, as to the righteousness which is down in the law, he was blameless. Any of those things, just give me two of them.
0: Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible Podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible Podcast. And if you have any questions, Regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.